Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Kids are uh, good to go to Kids Connection as we go. Wow, you guys look better in 2023 than you did in 2022. That's cool, right? You know, who doesn't believe me? Oh, okay. I thought I heard somebody. I don't believe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, nice to have you here. Wow. Yeah. Nice to have you here. How many of you know that today is World Religion Day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, today is World Religion Day. So I think it's really appropriate that we are starting a series entitled God Is. Because we are going to be, for the next six weeks, looking at the unique characteristics of the God we worship as Christians, okay? Now, it's, this is part of our life groups too, and if you're not officially part of a life group, but you want to do this on your own, I want to just encourage you, if you're, not, you know, if you're online, if you're you know, far away from us physically, and you want a study series, you want to do something that uh, you know, will kind of help your devotional life, can I just encourage you that this is one of the... Um, studies for the next six weeks that we're going to hopefully help deepen your understanding of God. So that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. Now, this series is going to be a little bit theological, okay? Um, So, and that's without apology, because theology is simply the study of God. If you want to understand, you know, the terminology or anything like that. So it's going to be a bit academic for the next six weeks. But this is really important because our view of God is what shapes us for understanding the world around us. Now, theology gets a really kind of a bad rap, but did you know that for centuries, theology and philosophy were considered part of the sciences? And in fact, Theology used to be considered the queen of the sciences, and philosophy was its handmaiden. Okay? So this idea that theology, philosophy, and science are kind of, you know, separate disciplines is really not what was part historically. It's all been kind of part of the same understanding of sciences. And of course... um, Christian theology is very unique. And as we present God in the next six weeks, I hope you see why this subject is so vitally important. Um, You know, especially um, the way that God is presented in the Bible. Now, um, why study theology? Here are the reasons why we even bother studying theology. This is what it does. It's to help us understand God ourselves, truth, and the nature of reality. We can't understand reality if we don't understand the nature of God. We can't understand ourselves if we don't understand the character and nature of God. We can't understand what truth is because truth is such a volatile topic in our culture. You know, I've joked for a long time. You can walk in a room and that's the fastest way to start a fight is I know the truth. Right? Fastest way to start a fight, okay? But I'm going to stand up here and tell you we have the truth. 
no one's, no one's fighting, okay? There is, you know, truth. Okay, but here, <clears throat> here's why we don't do theology. I want to I speak into this for just a second. You know you're doing theology wrong, and I'm going to say that in full anticipation of it being recorded, okay? If theology makes you more judgmental, you're doing it wrong. If theology is making you more legalistic, you're doing it wrong. If theology makes you look at others as lesser than, you're doing it wrong. Theology should impact how you see yourself, how you see the world around you, the reality of the world around you. What the truth is, is that we're all sinners that need a savior, okay? That God is the creator. We're accountable to him. He is supreme. He's the king of all. You know, all of those kinds of things. And there should be a humility that should be part of our theological engagement. If theology doesn't drive you to a sense of deep humility and deep gratitude, then you're doing it wrong. Okay? So this is what this series is not about. This is not about being arrogant and saying, oh, we got it all and, and, and stuff, and I'm in, and I'm safe, and I don't have to worry about anybody else and all that kind of stuff, then please leave right now because I don't want to be guilty of contributing to that any further, okay? So this is really, really important. So today I'm going to um, really start with a very, very easy topic, and that's the Trinity, That's why, that's why I say you guys are so smart, because you know sarcasm when you hear it, right? So you're going to have to help me out this morning. This is, a, this is a hugely complicated, complicated topic. We're going to do our very best to kind of give you the relative skinny on the Trinity. But I first want to read a few passages that sort of have the Trinity embedded in it and talk a little bit. From there, here's the first passage. This is what's known as the Great Commission uh, at the end of uh, Matthew 28. And by the way, the Great Commission is found in every one of the Gospels and the book of Acts, if you didn't know that. So this is a really important component to um, the Christian message. And listen to what Jesus, as he's, as, you know, after resurrection, and he's talking to the disciples and sending them out. This is what he says to them. Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Mother Mary. Oh, see, aren't you glad you're awake? Do you know that in parts of the world, that's 
what they think the Trinity is. Do you know that? Okay? But the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, if Jesus was only a man, how could he stay and say this? How could he claim this, that he would be with us to the end of the age? Okay? Here's the second passage. This comes out of the Gospel of John. And this passage is part of what is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Um, you know, chapters 14 to 17 has really powerful things. And it's a Trinitarian formula, this particular prayer. And I'm going to just take a part of it out of it, uh, where Jesus is praying. And, and he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Notice the, notice the terminology, another advocate, just like Jesus himself. In the Greek, this is periklite, perikliti in Greek, okay? Advocate. We can kind of define it as helping presence. Um, the problem in English is that we cannot, there should be, where it says advocate, there should be like five or six other words right after it. But we only put one word in there because perikliti in Greek has a whole bunch of connotations. There's a legality term to it that's standing in defense of another person, um, you know, helping presence, an, an advocate, someone who will lift you up. There's all kinds of terminologies to this particular thing. And very much Jesus in another way. Okay? So this is really important. And Jesus says this, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all, what's that word? Truth. Who will lead you into all good feelings. Truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you, speaking to the disciples, you know him. Now, I love this line. Here's a, here's a doctoral thesis for those of you that want to do a doctoral thesis in theology, okay? This next line, because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Wow. That's a doctoral thesis right there, okay? So that's a really powerful section of chapters where Jesus is praying um, these kinds of uh, prayers that have a Trinitarian formula to it. The last passage I want to I take us to is out of the, Paul's writings to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is a mess. Um, it's at the very, very end of 2 Corinthians. We know that Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthian church, okay? But we only have record, on record, two of them. We have lost the other two letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. But at the end of, this, of the book of 2 Corinthians, he writes the Trinitarian formula out. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So at a very early stage in Christendom was this understanding of God in three persons. Okay? Now, I want you to imagine for a minute um, the doctrine of the Trinity along a spectrum, if I could just uh, see that. I think the next slide actually has a, a line um, ac across it where we could talk. Okay, thank you. That's, that's the spectrum. Now, here's a you know, typical diagram. And in the center is maybe a... Um, a picture that you have seen of the Trinity, trying to understand the Trinity. And the picture is, is this, of God in three persons in one unity. In one unity. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I, I even went past the definition, didn't I, Allison? I'm really sorry. That was my fault. I, I jumped, my, my iPad jumped ahead, and I jumped ahead with my iPad. I don't even know what I'm, okay? So, yeah, can we back up one more? Here's actually a definition, um, and a simple definition. The unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in one Godhead. The unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in one Godhead. Okay, let's get back to the illustration then. All right. Sorry, that was totally my fault, Allison. Um, so here's this picture, and you could see um, this is one of those typical drawings that for the centuries has been, you know, demonstrated to try to understand in some ways this whole idea how God can be one yet three at the same time. Okay? So, you know, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God, but the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, all, all of this stuff. This is a diagram to help you understand it. Now, if you know anything about the history of the church, there have been literally wars fought over this particular concept. Okay? Now, if you go too far to my right, you end up with a problem called modalism, okay? And modalism thinks of God as one God in three manifestations, okay? This whole idea of modalism um, or Unitarianism is another way that you might have heard this particular thing. It means that there's only one God, but he shows up in three different ways. Shows up sometimes as the Father, showed up as Jesus at one time, shows up at the Holy Spirit today. But it's only one God, but just transforms himself into these three different persons when it's convenient. That's called modalism. If you go the other way, it's called polytheism. And this says there are actually three independent gods, but not one. So there's a multiple gods, Okay. This, honestly, people have died over getting this wrong. Historically, this has been such an awful battle. An awful battle. So you can see that if you think of God as one God, but sort of manifest in three different ways, you get 
the doctrine of the Trinity wrong. If you think that it's three separate gods and not one unity of God, you start to get it wrong. How many of you feel uncomfortable right now? Don't say it out loud. Okay? How many of you have tended to think of God a little bit wrong compared to Christian theology? Okay? Now, why is this even important? Why should we care? Why, why is this, you know, taking up a valuable hour on a Sunday morning when there's football games and that later that I needed to get ready for today because the playoffs are on? Okay, like why, why, why should we care? The teaching of the Trinity is at the heart of the Christian message, is at the heart of Christian theology. In fact, if we don't understand God as a Trinity, we are going to get a lot about the Bible, a lot about the theology wrong. We're going to struggle with understanding a lot. To begin with, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate source of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit breathed into the writers of Scripture and communicated to them what they needed to write in order that we would have the Word of God today. See, our Bible is not manufactured by a prophet who saw angels and wrote it down. It came as a communication directly from the Holy Spirit, who is God, who spoke those words. It's not a prophetic utterance. In fact, it's better than angels giving a message. In fact, the Apostle Paul, the beginning of Galatians, says, if an angel comes and gives you a different message than what has been communicated in the Word of God, that Paul has communicated, let them be cursed. Because Paul recognized that even angels can get it wrong, that the Word of God, the Bible that we call the inerrant Word of God, the Scriptures, we recognize have been breathed into life by God himself. Okay? Now, <laughs> do people struggle with that? Absolutely. But if the Bible was not breathed by the Holy Spirit, it would be something much less than it is. Okay? In the same way, Jesus, as the Son of God, claimed to speak for God. Um, if he is not God, then we could not trust anything that Jesus really said. And would his salvation be of value if he was just a man or someone even as a prophet who died? What does that, what does that say about the gift of salvation that came through Jesus Christ. Our, our eternal salvation depends upon the identity of Jesus. 
as God incarnate. To be acceptable for the sacrifice of sins, Jesus must be God himself. All humans are sinners by nature, just by nature. And none of us could have been the perfect sacrifice. You know, in fact, um, one, one, one of the ways that, you know, I talk to people about Jesus is I always ask them, could you have been the perfect sacrifice for the entire world? Surprisingly enough, no one's ever given me the answer yes. Surprisingly enough. In fact, we all know instinctively that if we're going to, you know, be redeemed, if we're going to be forgiven, if we're going to, you know, um, have, a, have a right relationship, even with others, it takes a level of forgiveness that is often beyond ourselves. Can we just admit that for once? And yet, you know, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because it was the love of God that allowed him to come and to do for us what we could never have done for ourselves. I don't know about you, but the Trinity is such a valuable doctrine to understand that it's not just good men doing stuff for us. It's not just prophets who are you know, enlightened by God. This, you know, this, this is God himself giving us his word, giving us the gift of salvation so that what we receive cannot be taken away, cannot be altered, cannot be diminished, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, you know, that's one of the points I want to make. Our, our confidence in the Bible and our assurance of salvation are built upon the Trinity, are built upon God himself. That God acted in history to do something for us that we could never have done for ourselves. This is, inc- you know, this is, this is incredible. This, this is a heavy topic but it's incredible when we understand the the Trinity. Um, You see, the Christian faith, God is not this abstraction. God is not, have you ever seen those, those, I think those Facebook things that said God is a mathematical equation? Have you ever seen those? And they prove that God exists because they do it mathematically? That's, and frankly, if you understand the mathematics, you're a much better person than I am. I don't know about you. I, I kind of get about 35 levels and then go, oh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, God is not this mystical apparition in the sky. God is personal. God is knowable. God is loving. God is sacrificial. God is unconditional love. God acts for our good in so many ways. Now, this, this is not an easy concept, okay? Now, I remember as, 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 a young, as a young man really struggling with the Trinity, how do you understand this? How do you understand, you know, one being three, and yet, if you separate the three, if you make it holy one, you're wrong. Like, how do you do that? Okay? There's, 
if you try to reconcile it, don't bother. Okay, this is just a mystery that is part of the Bible that we just need to accept by faith. And if you think everything's got to be explainable in life, um, let me give you the mathematical equation that always boggles my mind. All right, for, for talking about mathematics, okay? What if I told you I can start counting at one, go on forever, and never get to two? One, one and a half, one and two-thirds, one and three-quarters, one and four-fifths. You can go forever and never get to two. Okay? And in fact, if I understand fractions, aren't we actually getting kind of smaller as we go? But we never get back to one? Okay? Now, that's just a mathematical reality that you can wrestle in your own mind. That's hard to kind of rationalize. But that's what the Trinity is. So we adopt it by faith. And as believers, there's a huge comfort and assurance that comes from the Trinity, even though we don't fully understand it. Okay? Now, I just want to, you know, before the worship team goes back, I just want to close with this short segment of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Okay? And I want you to look at the Trinitarian formula. And, you know, when you get in your life groups this week, you're going to look at, at these passages and, and you're going to talk about what difference is it making in your life. Because this is a bit academic, you know. Um, you have to realize that this is such an important part of who you are if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Even though we don't fully understand it, but it also is incredibly uh, a credible statement of comfort and assurance because it is true, all right? This is what Jesus prayed. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That is Jesus praying for you. Isn't that powerful? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Notice the terminology. This is in terminology, not with terminology. Jesus is claiming in his prayer to be one with Yahweh, with God. Okay, very, very uh, important terminology. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Notice what Jesus is praying for the church as a community. That we reflect the oneness of the Trinity to demonstrate love, obedience, unconditionality, sacrifice, all of those things that Jesus brought to the world. I am in them and you are in me. 
May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me. <laughs> Notice the last, before the world began. Powerful words, right? And powerful words of assurance and comfort for each and every one of us. The Trinity, powerful doctrine, and it's where everything in Christianity hinges when we understand Jesus is not just a prophet, Jesus is not just a good guy, but he is God incarnate. The Spirit of God, if you claim to be a believer this morning, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That you have the, the God in you and with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've handled such an easy topic this morning. Thank you for your word and Lord, this is not an easy doctrine to fully understand, but it's not about fully understanding. It's just recognizing that this is an, a powerful revelation from you through your word. We thank you for the person of Jesus as we acknowledge him as part of the Godhead. We thank you for the spirit that indwells us and gives us power and authority and the ability to live like Jesus. We thank you that the spirit is God as well. And that the three, though they may have different responsibilities, or I, you know, I'm trying to be very cautious how we say this, but Lord, what a blessing it is to recognize them as God, as one. So, Lord, we thank you for our beginning to the series, and I pray that we would continue to be blessed as we walk through other characteristics so that we can know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.